Now, we have a treat for you this morning. Um, Mark 16 and 15 says what? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So this morning we have a homegrown. I'll get to you in a minute, Andrew. You just got to hang in there. <laughs> homegrown young lady who, with her husband, are spending time in Spain. As you all know, we, we support missionaries all over the world. We support missions here in the United States. We do a lot for the community. So today we have a special treat because Andrew and Irene are going to come up and speak and tell you what they've been doing in Spain. Uh, but before they do that, I've got to tell you a little bit about Irene. Like I said, I'll get, I'll get to Andrew in a minute. Um, so Irene didn't like me at one time. She wouldn't even talk to me. So her and my daughter are best friends, so they grew up together. And uh, I would walk down this aisle, and Irene would just turn around and go around and go around the other aisle. So uh, along that way... Uh, I had took over the, when we had Sunday school, I, I started teaching the middle school kids. So we're like, oh, what's Irene going to do when it's time for her to uh, come up in middle school class? So uh, this went on for years. She, she, wouldn't, like, she wouldn't even look at me. She, she just had nothing to do with me. So then middle school class came. Came time for her and my daughter because they were in the same grade. Came up in the class. and um, Ever since then, anyways. We went on trips together. She's went with us on vacations. Uh, she came up through the youth group, uh, uh, graduating eventually from a student to graduation and becoming a counselor in the youth. Then come Andrew and took her away from us. And, <laughs> but they're, uh, like I said, they're in Spain serving the Lord and doing God's work and fulfilling that scripture right there. So I'd like for you to give a big hand for Andrew and Irene. We even refer, she even refers to me as her second dad. And, uh, second Somebody they are. <laughs> and now you can't get me to stop talking, so that's okay. <laughs> well, we're really happy to be here in just what feels like a second home to us now. We've been in Spain for almost, well, it's been over three years now, so time is flying by. So it's just really wonderful to come in and see a lot of familiar faces, and we hope to maybe quickly meet some new faces. There's so many that have now joined CCC, which is really exciting to see the church just growing and flourishing. And yeah, we are so thankful. I'll just say this ahead of time. So many of you are supporting us personally, that we're not talking about really our personal uh, work this morning. So many of you are just dedicated and faithful to give to us so we can continue following what God's called us to do, and the church as well. And so we just, again, this is um, a time that we want to honor you guys and say thank you because you're a part of what allows us to see God's kingdom come to Spain, come to North Africa, to go into the nations. And so Andrew's really going to be presenting this morning, so I just kind of came up to say hi, and uh, my husband asked me to pray over him. This is something we tend to do in YWAM. Um, the organization we're a part of is that we pray over whoever's going to be speaking. So I'm going to do that this morning, and then I will give it over to Andrew. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much this morning for your presence. I thank you, God, that, yeah, we, we know that you are a good father this morning, that you long to speak your heart, Lord. And that you long to use Andrew, Father, that you have equipped him, you've given him the words to speak. Lord, that you would stir hearts for the nations, God, that 
You may be sending others to go out, or you may be calling others to give, others to support, others to come and participate. Lord, I just pray that you would um, let your heart just be spoken through Andrew's words. Lord, I thank you that he has a heart that is ready to be used and to serve you, Father, in whatever way that you called him to do. So, Lord, I bless Andrew this morning, and I ask that you would speak so clearly through um, everything that he needs to present this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I got a hand mic today. I'm going to work on the guns while I'm up here. All right. You guys are bearing witness to a very small miracle right now. My wife will tell you that I used to be a software engineer for the government, but I don't actually like technology that much. I'm very good with it, but I don't like using it. So I would normally come up here with a physical Bible, and I'd have my notepad with notes on it. But this morning I went looking for my notepad amongst all my luggage, and I discovered that I had smartly decided not to bring extra weight with me. And so I had to go find an alternative. So I get to look all fancy with digital. So I'm not teaching or preaching this morning. We're, we're here for a more unique than normal. Normally when Irene and I come to visit, we're connecting with supporters, we're raising support, we're connecting with friends and family. Um, right now, Irene and I are actually in the States, not for us, but on behalf of our team. And I'm going to be sharing a little bit more about that in a minute. Our team has a, a need that's recently arisen, and that's, that's why we're here to raise support for it. So it's actually kind of relaxing for me, because I don't have to talk about me. I get to talk about the team, and I was talking to Bill and Anita the other day, and I was realizing we usually only talk about ourselves when we're here and very little about the team, so there's very little known about widely what our, what our team is doing in the region of North Africa and how God's using them, and so I really appreciate the opportunity just to talk about them for a while. But before we do that, I wanted to take a moment to just bring a word of encouragement um, so if you want to go ahead and pull out your Bibles to uh, Ecclesiastes 4. I know um, there's a few people in the room. I felt the questionable eyes looking at me going, Ecclesiastes? When was the last time we opened that in church? Where is this going? Uh, I promise you it's going somewhere good. I'm actually going to use it to kind of segue into a talk about our team. And there, there is no PowerPoint this time, so none of you are going to die by PowerPoint this morning. Just, just by me. And I'll try and honor the time. So while you're turning there, uh, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 4. I'll give you the verse in a moment. Feel free to push buttons or open your pages. Um, I'm going to do a little something that's a little unusual for me. Those of you who know me know I'm, I'm a bit of a Bible nerd, and I'm very sensitive to how the Bible's interpreted. I've been around a lot of places, and the Bible gets abused a lot, and how it's interpreted and how people pull Scripture out. So I'm very sensitive to that. It's a, it's a deep passion in my heart that the Bible is used correctly, because if it's not, it's used to harm people. And I don't want to see that happen. But we're going to do something that's outside of what I normally would do. Normally, I, I want you to know the context of what we're talking about. I want you to know the writer. I want you to know who the recipient is, all the important pieces that it takes to understand and interpret what the Bible is saying to us. This is an unusual situation because... A few spots, and I'm, I really stress this, only a few spots in the Bible can be pulled out and stand alone by themselves without the context. And this is one of the very few, and it will become very obvious as we go into it. But please, please don't take this as the gospel that you use every time. 
Moses is not tell, it's not a lesson about how he wants to part the Red Sea in our lives or how he wants to part the waters so that you can go to an island. That is, that's not what Moses is about, and that's not what the other Bible, ver- Bible is about. There's a point that the writers are giving us. We're going to skip past the point on this one, and we're going to focus on verses 9 through 12. And this is something similar to if I was going to tell somebody about the amazing worship we had this morning... I would talk about the amazing bass player we had, the amazing drummer we had. And these are all important details into the, the bigger picture that I wanted to communicate, which was the amazing worship. They're all facts, though. It'd be all facts that Rich was over there playing the bass. They're all facts that can stand alone to tell you, oh, hey, Rich plays the bass. I didn't know that. Right? And that's kind of what this is going to be for us today. This is a small piece of fact It's based upon the New Testament. Inside the New Testament, we have Jesus teaching the same thing. And we're just going to pull this out for today. Okay, I'm going to get off my soapbox. All right, let's go to verse 9. I'm going to read. Two are better than one, because they are a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has no other to lift him up. Again... If two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And although a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will stand with him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. That verse 13 at the very end, when it, uh, sorry, verse 12, that talks about the threefold cord is, I love pictures in the Bible that are agricultural or practical. I really get those. And I'm deeply passionate about agriculture and bushcraft, if anyone knows what that is. So... Rope making is a big part of that. And what I love about this picture that they're giving is it's talking about us standing together and working together to further a goal. And when you make a cord, you're you're gathering these little fine threads. And by themselves, they're just weak. You just pop them loose. They they can't do anything. But when we bind them together and making a a threefold, making three strands of cord... You bind them in three piles, and then you twist each one, and then you bind them back together on each other, and they hold tight. And what could barely hold just a little tug can now hold hundreds and hundreds of pounds of weight. But if I take my knife and I start cutting through those cords, those cords that work together to hold 500 pounds now begin to only hold 400. And then a little more, it goes to 200. And before long, it just falls apart. It can't hold anything anymore. And so it's an amazing picture in the Bible. And, in, in, and when Jesus talks to us about being adopted into the family of God, it's this picture of us working together. But it's not about codependency, interdependency, or, or self-dependency. It's about, sorry, I said inter. It's about interdependency. I got that one backwards a little. An interdependency... Is, is unique. It's different. It's about each and every one of us on our own being able to work and strive for something and then combining to do something greater, which is what that cord does. Each of those strands can do very little, but it has to do its job. If I cut it off, it can't do the job it needed to do to help the others. But combined, they can do a greater work together. And so we need one another in interdependency to be able to sh- the iron sharpen iron, to help one another, not just, not just from a, a physical, a, a, um, a spiritual sense, but also sometimes in the physical sense. We lose somebody, we get hurt, 
And we need somebody to come and help take care of our family. We had a, a member of our team who had a, had a major surgery on her leg. The team had to, she had no family with her. We're in Spain. She's from Egypt. So she became interdependent on us to come with her, to help her into the bathroom, to use the bathroom, to come and help her get a sponge bath, to feed her. We made meals for her for a month. That is the picture that God, that Jesus brought to us when we became adopted into his family. We became interdependent on one another. We each standing by ourselves, but together we can accomplish something greater, and that's through his spirit as well. So the encouragement I want to bring to each and every one of us and myself I am very independent. My wife will confirm that for you. I'm sure she's going to shake her, her head to the point it's sore. But we have to cultivate this interdependency. We have to look in our lives and say, okay, am I good at asking for help, even when sometimes I don't quite need it? Right? There's times that we, we need to think and, and move in off the spirit and say, you know, actually I could kind of do this on my own, but I'm going to invite my wife, my husband, my friend to, to help me with this. And then there's those times and there's those people, and I, and I work with some of them, that they can't ask for help. No matter how difficult the challenge is, they can't do it. We've got to work on and, and practice on, okay, I know I can do this myself, but I'm going to call my friend. I'm going to ask them if they'd come and help me anyways so that I can practice this. And at the same time, this is, this is also one that we also need to look at, developing eyes that can see where help is needed. When, when those of you, and I know there has been suffering in this room, because I see the age ranges. There's no doubt that there's people who have lost loved ones close to them. And you know in those moments, you can't process what's going on around you. You need people who can look and say, I'm going to come and feed you. I know you can't tell me you need food right now, but I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to bring food to you right now. I know you need someone to take your kids to school today. I'm just going to do it. I know it. You don't need to ask me. So we need to practice this and put this into motion and that's what builds us up, and we bind together as a family. So the re- where this segues is that's actually what our team does. Our team is dedicated, our mission is, is, is to be dedicated to seeing the kingdom of God thriving in North Africa and among North Africans. But we do that from Spain. And that's how we do that, is we support those who are in North Africa doing this work. Some of these people are from other countries outside of North Africa. Some are actually locals who have become Christians and they're coming alive. They're on fire. We are nearby in Spain, southern part of Spain. We have a huge airport nearby that we can fly anywhere we want. We also have ferries that take us into Morocco. We are there to be close within reach, to be the spiritual help that sometimes comes alongside. Look, man, I've been noticing this in your life. Let's talk about this. That's that iron sharpening iron part. We also are there when there's things happen. Our region's difficult. Some scary things happen in our region. We're there to help people process that and talk about that. And then recently, Irene and I are a good example of the physical aspect. We had friends going on a sabbatical. They run a ministry that's a business. They needed somebody they could trust to, to take care of the finances, to pay their, their employees so that because they, they had money stolen, so they called and they asked, "Can you come out and help us?" So we came and we went for about two and a half months, and we lived in one of the North African nations, helping with the ministry. And we do this all the time, not just us, our entire team. This is what we do. So our team, we normally say it started in 1991. It's, that's kind of true. The team in Spain itself did the North African Center, but it's the heart of it. The bones actually started actually about probably ten years before that 
when our founders were in Morocco pioneering a new ministry work. It had, YWAM hadn't been in anywhere in North Africa in a number of years, and it only had ever been in Morocco. And so they were re-pioneering a new team there. And throughout the years there, they were just faithful and they served. And a lot of times that's just all we need to do is just serve. That's what God calls us to at the core of everything is just to be servants. And it was through that that not only was YWAM expanded, but multiple ministries through what they were doing expanded through what Y was doing. And to the point that we have probably close to 200 workers across North Africa. Sounds impressive. It's, it's kind of a smaller number. And a lot of other organizations learned from some of the weird stuff we were doing to do it too. Short-term teams was weird to a lot of people. They started doing that and found people were getting a heart for North Africa and coming back to work with them. Well, after a while, the government started paying attention to what they were doing, got a little annoyed by it. Our eight nations, with the exception of one nation, you cannot be, you can't convert to is, from Islam to being a Christian. You're not supposed to be there to proselytize. So after a while, they just became, we, we say it's a stink in their eye. Because the truth is, when we enter one of these countries, we look very different. They know we're not necessarily tourists when we're there for a year. They know we're up to something. They usually think spy or missionaries. Uh, or maybe both. Um, so after a while, we just become a stink in their eyes, and they move us on. Sometimes not in a nice way, but they move us on. Uh, and so that's kind of what was coming to for our founders. They had been caught a number of times smuggling Bibles. Um, and there's some funny stories that go with that. If, if we ever had time, I'd love to tell them. And so after a while, the Lord just used that to say, okay, your time here is done. I want to move you on. But I want to take everything I've been showing you here, and I want to create a bigger vision. And that bigger vision went from being just Morocco to being all of North Africa. And so they, they left and went to southern Spain because it was very close by. It already had a huge population of North Africans on its own. And they bought a building in 1991. We call it Villa Isabel. Uh, so we, for short, we just say Villa. Or we'll call ourselves the Villa team instead of YWAM North Africa Center. That's really long to say. Um, and I can be a little lazy with my words, so... We just usually call ourselves the Villa Team. And this building is actually part of the reason why we're here today. The building was built back in the 60s, 70s time frame, back when um, Spanish laws were extraordinarily relaxed, and people just did whatever they felt like. So they built this gorgeous building, huge, positively massive. That's what a villa is, just a massive building. And concrete buildings are the norm there. They don't have a lot of wood. Concrete doesn't flex very well. It's not, not very flexible. And so any settling means you get cracks. So all the houses there have cracks. That's pretty normal. And they're always telling you that cracks are normal, cracks are normal. Our cracks got bigger. And then they got really big. So we had to ask some questions. And that we were asking those questions the last time Irene and I were through here. What is going on? We had surveys done. We had huge machines out there drilling holes. And what they discovered was they built a building that is on very soft soil. It's not compacted. It's on the side of a hill. They didn't put down footers or any kind of deep beams. They just stuck it right on the soil. And then they built it way too big for that. Um, And over time, it's come back to catch up with us. And the building has begun to move independently. And I'll go back more into that in a little bit. It's kind of a fun 
description when you, you hear some more, but we'll, we'll pass that for a moment. So this team of ours has grown over the years, and it's usually it holds to the ministries of short-term teams and hospitality and, and care. And over time, as we gain people, the ministries expand, and we've gained new ministries. Some ministries have gone. At one time before we had internet, believe it or not, our team was the home of one of the largest North African research libraries. Um, over time, the internet came. That wasn't important anymore. So we shrunk that. Right now, we're somewhere around, we average about 25 personnel normally. That comes and goes as, people, as the Lord moves people on. Generally, most people on our team stay for years. Uh, currently, I think we're at about 18, 19. I'm losing count because people are arriving. And that's kind of the amazing thing. We are about to receive nine new members. That, that's, that's massive within a matter of months. That's a huge number. At the same time, we have more people who are beginning the early stages of processing about coming to join us. And probably about six months ago, one of our team members was at a big conference for, I think it primarily it was for Arabs, former Muslims, and they were having a prayer meeting, and it was in, I think, Turkey. And they gave him a word, and they said, your team is going to be receiving a bunch of former Muslims who are Christians who want to be missionaries. Now, that, that makes you get excited a little bit, but you're like, oh, let's see where this happens, because this, this is not normal. We don't see this happen. Even in the region, we don't see that many North Africans come to Christ and then become missionaries. It's dangerous for them to even become a Christian, let alone become on fire. Well, several months later, we were contacted by a team that they were North Africans. They had formed their own team. They had started an amazing ministry in the region with Bible poverty, around, centered around Bible poverty. I'm not going to go into details because they've asked me not to. And it's been explosive for them. They've had explosive growth. They have a big vision the Lord's given them. And they contacted us and said, we need a headquarters. We cannot do what we're doing and hold on documents and information about our ministry within the region. It's not safe for us. Can we join your team? So we now have suddenly three North Africans from two different nations joining us and bringing an entirely new ministry that we haven't been doing in the region before to us. To, to start expanding, and their vision is massive, and we're very excited to, to have them come join us. Um, so our team is very diverse. We have members from, and I'm losing count how many different nations, but we're from everywhere. And actually, Americans don't make up the largest part of that team. We're, we're kind of at the halfway point, um, which is it's a huge blessing, because missions is a critical part of the church. It's how, kind of, because when you go to the beaches and you see there's those stagnant pools of water after high tide, those stagnant, you know, we think of stagnant water as a bad thing, right? We want to see a flow of water coming in and refreshing. And for me, that's what missions is, internationally for the church. That exchange of one country, their culture and their views, and the way they interpret and see the Bible coming into to our lives, and we going to their lives brings refreshing into the church. It helps us to see things that sometimes are blinders for us. And so having missions is very critical. And having that exchange is really important to us. And so we love that our team is so diverse, with so many views. Sometimes it's very hard. I'm not going to lie. There are some cultures that think that when I tell you I'll meet you at 8 o'clock, that means I start taking a shower at 8 o'clock. And then I might get in my car at 9 o'clock. I'll see you at 10, inshallah. I don't know. 
did you ask me three times? Because if you didn't ask me three times, then you, you're just saying you like me. But we're not actually going to get together until you say it three times. It's something we have to get used to. And it's fun. It's stressful, but it's fun too. So our team, as it's expanded and gotten large and with all the ministries that started, we've had to break it up into more manageable pieces. So we have what we call focus groups. And those are groups that are like ministries that that gather together that can facilitate the work of one another. Um, So we have four of these. One of them is called the care group, which I'm very happy to tell you is my wife is in charge of the care group. Recently, she took a course in uh, member care, which is very similar to pastoral care. Um, There's a difference, and I'm I'm doing a horrible job summarizing it. Um, But it's a very important part of our team. So she heads up that group, and I'm really excited to see what the Lord is going to do as he develops this in her life. Um, That care group focuses on caring for our workers on our team. At the same time, we are focusing, we have those who focus on all the workers, foreign workers that are in the region. And then we have a person that focuses on the background, the Arab, we call them um, MBBs, Muslim background believers. Those are those who've come to Christ. Um, They're either missionaries or they're somewhere on that pathway. And so we have someone that focuses on giving them care and seeing how are you doing and and this is more spiritual and, and, and kind, of, kind of counseling. I don't like to use counseling because we think of maybe Western-style counseling. Biblical counseling is when we, we don't give you the answers. We're helping you to hear what the Lord is trying to tell you. And that's a really important difference. Uh, the next group I'm very passionate about is the mobilization group. Uh, it's obviously one of the ones I'm a part of. Um, I love helping people to fulfill what the Lord's doing in their life and how he's calling them into missions. And I love that. Um, the Lord is calling all of us into some aspect of missions. Now, that could be to be here at home and to work and to raise money and support or to support with prayer. But the Lord is calling all of us into some aspect of missions, into what his heart is for the nations. He's calling all of us. And I love helping people realize that. And I don't just mean realize that in their head, but realize that in a tangible way. And so I'll walk with people who say, you know, I feel like the Lord's calling me to North Africa, but it's a huge jump, right? You leave behind everything you have, all your possessions, and you show up with a couple of bags of luggage. That's a huge gap to figuring out, okay, I don't know the language. I'm not really usually supposed to be here, so I don't know what's the visa laws. Can I rent a home? How do I do that? I like to walk with those people and help them see how that can be connected. <coughs> Mobilization also helps raise funds for the region. We have ministries that within the region it makes it very hard for them to raise funds for the work they're doing. So we help them connect to people to raise the support. Uh, we had a lady who is from a n- another South Africa, I think she's from Uganda maybe, or Gambia, one of these African nations. She's a worker in one of our North African nations. She was getting ready to take training to start running a kids' youth Christian ministry in her country. She needed the money to get on a plane to go and get that training. So that was one of the things I did was help connect through the team, not just me alone. Our team helped her connect to the funds to make that happen. So that's kind of mobilization. The other team is our training team. Training is kind of self-explanatory. We provide the training that helps you get connected and prepared to go into the region. Um, one of our flagship trainings, we're running it right now, um, it's the nitty-gritty training. This is the, you get kidnapped, what do you do? You're being interrogated by police, what do you say? 
We provide that training to people and prepare them for the field. Uh, we also have a, a subset of that team that focuses on Muslims, MBBs, former Muslims, background believers. They go into the region because people from those regions can't easily get a visa to come to Europe. So we send teams in, and they will find a country that they can get a visa to very easily and travel, and we run trainings with them and teach them how to, we, we disciple them essentially, teach them how do you share the gospel, how do you start a church, how should you run a church, things like that. And this team also is kind of, I call it Paul-like, because they'll go in and they've got, we've got people on that team that are very wise, that have been doing this for years, and they'll come to underground churches and they'll work with them with problems and situations and, okay, let's talk about this, let's figure out how we deal with this problem. And so they coach them. So that the church can be, the church there, there's a church there. In all of North Africa, there are churches, but they're very young. They need a lot of discipleship. They need more ground. They need, so they need help from people to come in and coach them along. And then our final team is our local team. That's relatively new to us. For many years, the villa was focused on North Africa. Now it is also focused on North Africans. Within our area of Spain, is a humongous population of Moroccans and some other countries. And most of these guys are, are uh, immigrants. They're, they're not um, refugees. And we run an outreach center there where we teach them the skills they will need to be in the country to, to create a life for themselves there. It's kind of fun because in a sense, all of us that go there, none of us are locals, so we all have to experience what they experience. We have to learn Spanish like a little kid. We, we have to get our driver's license. I had to get my driver's license. It was really fun. I'd been driving for years. I'd been in Afghanistan driving. I'd been in Japan on the other side of the road. But I had to start off like a little kid in the car doing the written test. What do you do with the stop sign? You know, all these things. So we, get to, we experience that and we work with them to help them through this as well. But that's important because we're not doing this just to help them. We're giving them something tangible a tangible need so that they can interact with us and they can start to see who we are. In Muslim communities, they are taught that all Westerners are Christians. They don't, they, don't, they don't look at you and they go, uh, she could be Buddhist, she could be a Hindu, she could not even believe in anything at all. You're all Christians. It doesn't matter who you are. Which means when they watch our movies, that is a representative of a Christian. All of our movies. That is what they're taught. And so their parents teach them that Americans specifically are horrible people and moral, but all Westerners are horrible and moral people. Look at Christianity. Look what they do. Why would... No, that is not true. So they are ingrained into them. And until the recent development of Internet coming into the country, and we're talking recent as in the last couple of years, the only thing they could trust was their elders, and that's what they're taught. Now the younger people are... You know, they're opening up because they have access to the internet and they're seeing and questioning. But ingrained into them is just to trust their elders. And so when they come to us, they don't trust us. We can't share the gospel with someone who can't trust us. You can't share something that you know to be truth if someone doesn't trust you. Because they don't know it's truth. They don't trust you. So we run the center as a way to build trust and to open eyes. And I have, a, I have one of our fellow leaders... She describes it this way. She goes, when we interact with a Muslim, it takes about five to six years for a Muslim that you start witnessing to to come to Christ. She says, it starts with them facing away from the cross. The cross is behind me. And we start at the center, and we, we just want them to trust us, to know that, okay, what you've been taught is not entirely true. We get them to move a little bit. 
And we, we start building on that. And we, we, we started a class that teaches the Bible. It teaches about different missionaries and amazing stories from famous missionaries. But we present it in a way that's just stories of hope. It's not, it's not really the Bible. We don't talk about that. We just read these amazing stories. They move a little closer to us. And then we approach those that we, you know, they're, they're looking interested. Would you like to study the Bible? And they move a little closer. And then they study the Bible, and then they're looking at the cross. They're not at the cross yet, but they're looking at it. And that's our goal. We want them to look at the cross. Because then is the best time that we can really start to witness. And then we work with the Holy Spirit into opening their eyes in this. And we recently had several ladies who went through all that and went through a Bible study. They're looking at the cross now. Some of them still want to continue studying the Bible a little bit. They've, they, as far as we know, they haven't accepted Christ. Sometimes they do and they don't tell anyone because it's very dangerous. They don't want their family or friends to know this. But that's, that's what we focus on with our local outreach team. Well, so I'll go back to the building. When we came through here last year, we had gotten the news that the building was essentially falling apart and needed, something needed to happen to it. Um, at that time, we thought we could fix it. That's a normal event in Spain. It sounds strange to me and probably to many of us, but in Spain, they're like, eh, we'll fix it. It's not a problem. We'll, we'll drive in special beams and hook it on. Not a problem. So we said, okay, this seems like the right thing to do. Well, it took a year to run through that process. They told us one month. It took a year to run through that process. And so as we're running this process, we're, we're just hitting road bump after road bump. We're finding out new and horrific things about our building. Our building's walls and ceilings are independent of one another. That was the standard back then. So when one wall moves, everything else can do whatever it wants. And this is important because when the building, when a wall is moving, that means they could just do that. When they're tied together, it provides some resistance. There's no resistance. So they told us the only way they could do this repair is they're going to have to come in and put meshing on all the walls and ceilings and then stucco that in. The entire building, that adds up quick because it's a big building. They had, the, they had to take out walls and cut through the side of the building to bring in the machinery to be able to drive the pylons into our building. They weren't even sure how they were going to get the machine in there. So as we were processing this, it got down to within this one particular day. We were getting ready on a Friday. I think it was a Friday. We were going to sign the documents to say, yes, we're going to do this. Here's your check. Get started. And we had run into so many road bumps. And as leaders, we were really kind of going back and forth. Some of us were new on the leadership team. Uh, we don't have a single leader. We have a leadership team. Uh, it's a team of four of us. Um, when I say us, I'm one of them. And some of us were new on the team. And we were a little unsure. We didn't feel it was the right decision. And, and suddenly, out of nowhere, uh, a friend of a friend of one of our leaders got a phone call. This lady wanted to talk to her. She's an expert in these things. And she does it around the world. And she asked lots of really amazing questions. We gave her answers. And at the very end, she said, look, I do this around the world. Nobody's ever happy with the results of this because it never completely fixes your problems. Sure, your building won't fall apart anymore, but now you're going to have consistent repairs all the time. It doesn't stop. And so that kind of woke us up. And we said, okay, this is strange. We don't know this lady. And we've been hearing a lot of things. So we stopped and we said, okay, Lord, all doors are open. Whatever you want us to do with this building, we'll do it. And we came to the conclusion that the Lord did not want us to repair the building. 
which is a hard decision for us to make. Uh, this is a very special building and for a lot of people in their hearts. It's really kind of, it's, I guess it's probably akin to those of you who have had children and you had this, the home that they grew up in. It's kind of similar for many people. It's a very special place. So it was a hard decision to make. Uh, we processed other decisions, and the Lord really kind of directed us towards buy a new building. We even received words from visiting teams, people who had no idea that this building existed um, because we've been working out of our center. Our, our center became our, our – part of the center was being used for ministry. The other part was being used for the villa's ministry. And they had no idea, and they, one day once someone prayed in, in Spanish – we had to stop him and go, okay, say that again, because we need to translate that really closely. He's like, I feel like the Lord said he's buying you a new building. Okay, oh, wow, okay. Did you know we don't have another building? You, or we have another building? You have another building? I don't know that. So we put this all together, and we felt like the Lord said buy a new building. So since probably November, truly in December, we've been hunting for a building. We have seen 25 properties. And we have a listing of requirements, we felt like the Lord was saying. And one of those requirements is 30 minutes from the center. So 25 buildings, all 30 minutes from the center, that's a lot of buildings. And there's not a lot of options. Um, And we've been, a couple of the buildings have been very interesting to us. And we've gone through some multiple stages with them, only to discover there's some unique issues with them. And this is kind of a, a normal thing that we've been running into. Right now, we're actually looking at a building very seriously. It has some unique issues with it. We're learning in Spain all buildings have unique problems that we have to legal, deal with legally. So we are going to be talking with a legal advisor this week to figure out what this means. But what, what we've come to is, we've, based upon the 25 buildings we've seen and our needs, we believe that we need a building that's going to cost approximately... Our, in, in euros, it'd be seven hundred thousand euros. In U.S. dollars, it's probably easier just to say eight hundred thousand euros. That's the building we're trying to purchase. Um, and eventually, we need to raise the, the, the full full amount of money to buy the property. But what we need to do right now is raise enough money, thirty percent approximately. So you can say about three hundred U.S. three hundred thousand U.S. dollars is what we need to be able to secure the building. And that's the starting point. And that's what we need now, so that when we find the building. You guys have seen the market here. It's like this right now, and that's where we're at. We are trying to find a building that we can walk into, lock it in, and then begin to do all the negotiation work we need to do with the banks and things like that. Um, and so we're traveling around, Irene and I, talking with churches, sharing the need, uh, asking, most importantly, obviously we're asking we need support. The one we really also need is prayer, not just for the support, but for the decision-making. I've never owned my own property. In my head, when I thought I was going to buy property, I thought $200,000 was expensive. Seven hundred dollars is enormous to me. There is only going to be a miracle that makes this happen for us. We need prayer, not just for funds, but for the decision-making to find the place and buy it. That's a huge decision. As a leader, it's a huge decision to wrap my whole team into a purchase that big and say, okay, the Lord is saying this, we're going to do it. We don't see all the money coming in, but we're going to sign on the documents. So we need prayer, lots and lots of prayer. So that's what we're asking, prayer. Uh, we're also asking if you feel led to give, um, please feel free to make a donation. Irene and I are going to hang out up here in the front after this. Um, please, 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 if you feel led to give and you have our private giving 
don't please don't give to us privately. There's a different way to give um, to this ministry um, that we can give you, and it's also tax deductible. It's really really important. Please don't give directly to us. Uh, it would really hurt us on taxes so badly. Um, also, the money would get lost. We wouldn't know it was being given for that. So if you have any questions about that, you can talk to us. We have information. Our team has a newsletter. Some of you are on our personal newsletter. The team's newsletter goes out monthly. Irene and I actually are the ones who manage it. It has a lot more information about what's happening in North Africa and what the team's doing that normally never makes it into our newsletters because we don't have the space for it. So for those of you who are interested, please let us know. We're also starting something new. Uh, Irene and I personally, but also the team, is something called Prayer Vine. Maybe someone's heard of it in here. It's short little email bursts that go out when there's a need for prayer. It's neat for us because we have lots of little things that come up all the time. The other day, um, we had a team that was supposed to be going to Morocco to do a homestay training to learn what it to, to live with a Muslim family and to learn about life there. Their flights got canceled out of nowhere. And so they're sitting in the middle of the airport. They need a driver to get them home. They need to figure out how do we get to Morocco. We're supposed to be there on time. Little things like that come up, and we need prayers. And so the prayer finds a way that if you really want to be engaged with prayer, let us know, and you'll get these little emergency emails out of nowhere with prayer points. Um, and then Irene and I have a newsletter, so if you're interested in following us and you're not already, please let us know. We can get you signed up for that as well. I do believe that is everything. Um, so I'm going to take a minute to just pray over us for the week. Uh, happy Fourth of July early, or one day away, um, which is an amazing time. Um, being in, a, being traveling in so many different countries and seeing the legal systems and what's there and what's not there, it it really has given me an appreciation for our country. Yeah. I, you won't find me going around the country going, Merca, Merca, right? I believe in the kingdom of God. That comes first for me. But I do recognize what people who have believed deeply in the, the kingdom of God have done to create this nation. And I appreciate the freedoms that come from that. And the influence. We have, an, we have a negative influence around the world, but we have a very positive influence around the world as well. Many of these countries that have, have their freedoms and their rights to believe and to follow the Lord have come through us. It has come through what the Lord has done with us. So remember that on the 4th. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you that we have the privilege and the right and the freedom to be in here and to worship you, to study your word, to hold a Bible, Lord. I thank you for that right. Thank you for that freedom, Lord. I pray as we go throughout this week that you would go with us, that we would see the needs of one another, Lord, that we would also see our own needs and be able to ask for help, Lord, when we need help. Lord, show us the places in our life that we need to grow in, Lord, and the places in our life that need to go away. In Jesus' name, amen.